Welcome to Spiritual Shit You Need to Know, a lifestyle podcast for millennial women, light workers, and spiritual badasses who are waking up, ready to tap into their powers, and own it like a true boss. I'm your host, Regis Cowan, spiritual entrepreneur and life coach, and my passion is helping women like you get out of your own way and step your mindset game up. Are you a spiritual woman who's questioning her life, wanting more meaning and purpose, and you're ready to live your most amazing life? Then this is the place for you. Your time is now. Let's get to it. Have you been thinking about launching your own podcast but have no idea how to get started? Do you have a message that you need to share with the world? No worries. I've made it super easy for you with my free podcast checklist. All the steps laid out just for you. You can download my free checklist at bit.ly forward slash launch podcast list. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash launch podcast list. Or you can just click the link in the show notes. Can't wait for you to get started. Today's episode is with Stephanie Berg, a professional ballerina turned certified integrative health and transformational life coach. For the past eight years, she has provided women with the spaces and tools to liberate themselves from trauma, past conditioning, old storylines, and everything the world tells them they should or shouldn't be. She serves women on the verge of greatness, whether you're ready to live as your true self or know you are meant for more in life. She's here to support you to create flourishing aliveness and to alchemize whatever is keeping you from being who you most want to be in the world. Let's welcome Stephanie to the show. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Regis. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. We have so much that I want to ask her and talk about. Um, She is a transformational life coach, but there's so many other things that she um, works on and people that she works with. So we're going to dive into a little bit about that. But first, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about you. Um, What is like your personal journey? How did you get into doing this work as a coach? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Like I, so I've been, I've been doing this work for about eight years now and like thinking about the start of this journey until now it, it's like, oh, of course this is where I landed. You know, in some ways I was always doing elements of this work throughout my life, even though I didn't really know that. So I have a background in professional dance. I was a professional ballet dancer for over a decade. And I, you know, sort of towards the end of that career, I didn't know it was the end at the time or that it was, it was nearing that kind of closure. Um, But I, I had been dancing, you know, my whole life. And then around the time I hit 29, I had my first major injury dancing and um i i had to you know not be on stage and not perform and be out of my career essentially for a little over a year and that was the first time that i really had to explore or even contemplate you know what might i do after this career is over because you know you train your whole life in the world of dance and then by age, you know, 30, 35, 40, maybe sometimes a little older, if you're like lucky, you, you know, have to retire because it's so intensive for your body, um, you know, that, you, you know, you can't really <laughs> keep up with right. that level of performance, you know, past a certain point. And so, you know, during that time, it was for, sort of the first time that I 
had the opportunity to explore my interests and kind of get to know myself outside of this identity that I had created as a dancer. It was like the only thing I knew of myself and my mind set was really revolving around dance, eat, sleep, breathe, (laughs) blood, sweat, tears, you know? And um, so during that time of injury, I started to kind of recognize through that healing process that there was a lot going on underneath the surface in terms of healing from my own childhood trauma my like relationship to my body and food. And it was really sort of the catalyst for a deeper healing journey. And I, you know, through that time off, um, I just sort of was like eyes on the prize, get back into dancing, get back on stage, you know, just go back to doing everything that I had always done. And once I had recovered and was back on stage. It was like a really big deal. You know, um, I got, I I was dancing for maybe like, I don't know, six months. And then I had another injury and yeah. And the same thing happened, went through the recovery process, got back on stage, got back to work and then had another injury a short time after that. And that third injury was a really intense neck injury. I was essentially like dropped out of a lift and yeah. And I just kind of had this moment, like it it was the, the awakening or the deepening was kind of knocking at my door through the course of these first couple of injuries, but I didn't really want to face it because I loved dance. It was all I knew. And like, who the hell was I, if I wasn't doing that, you know? So, um, that last injury, was really, you know, it was, it was severe in terms of the physical aspect of it, but it was quite a reckoning in terms of my own, like, what the hell am I doing with my life kind of thing. And, you know, this is, this is serious. Like how long am I going to keep ignoring, you know, what's clearly knocking at my door, which is this transition and, Mm -hmm. you know, retirement. And so, um, you know, that, that really kind of catalyzed, the the transition into something different. You know, I had been kind of exploring it throughout the the other injuries, but this was the time where I was like, I've got to do something different. Like my love of dance will never go away, but it's actually become something quite toxic, you know, in in right. the ways that I'm operating and maintaining my body and treating myself. And I'm kind of giving you the Cliff Notes version here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But um yeah, I throughout that that time frame, I started working with an organization out of New York called Career Transition for Dancers and they are essentially their whole mission and purpose is to place professional dancers into other careers because, you know, we're considered experts in our field by you know, 20, 25, and then mm-hmm. we retire at like 40-ish, you know? Yeah. And in my case, I I retired, you know, around 33. And I still danced and did, a, a, you know, some things here and there after I recovered from that last injury. But I was sort of guided to a nutrition school, um, you know, by that, by that organization and kind of came into, you know, I, I, I was, I was combining my, my love of, 
you know, nutrition and movement and wellness and all of these things and exploring that through this holistic nutrition school. And then through that experience, kind of really realized, you know, how much I wanted to support and serve women, you know, experiencing some of the similar things that I had been going through with my body, even though, you know, they may not have been dancers, but still that, um, you know, our, our, as women, our bodies are our most powerful tool. They're most, our most powerful ally. And the majority of women have some type of issue, you know, with their yes, bodies, absolutely. with food, with, you know, that, that battle. And I certainly had that as well. And it, it wasn't until, you know, kind of going through my experience with holistic nutrition that I really sort of realized just how dysfunctional you know, our culture's way of relating to ourselves and like the diet industry and all of these things, like how much of that I had internalized and then being in the world of dance, like how intense that had been for my relationship with myself. And so that's kind of like a little bit of a winding path, but yeah, it was, it was really, um, you know, my, my journey to being, you know, where I am in my work today has really come from, you know, I think like many of us that are in healing work, it's come from my own healing journey and um, and also this sort of winding and meandering road mm-hmm. of exploring my other interests, um, you know, beyond the world of dance. Awesome. And so how long, because people always think, I always ask this question because sometimes people get the wrong idea. They think that, you know, you had this awakening moment and then overnight you were like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm doing this now. But as you said, I mean, this was like a period of exploration. So how long would you say that, you know, it took you to get from point A to point B? Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, it's, it's never overnight, right? Like we, we look at someone online or like social media and we're like, oh, they've got it easy. Like it's, (laughs) you know, it's easy to make those judgments, but even that point of like recognizing that I was out of alignment in my career as a dancer to the point in which I actually left that job, I'd had this particular job for eight years that was probably around a two and a half to three year period. And a a lot of it was just my resistance to change, you know, like my resistance to divorcing essentially this aspect of myself that I had, you know, this identity that I had uh, consciously curated for, you know, my whole life, like to let that go felt truly like death in a lot of ways. Um, at least some part of me dying, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it took a while. Yeah. I, I like for people to see that just because, you know, ultimately this is a journey, you know, and it doesn't happen overnight. There are, you know, one step leads to something else, which leads to something else. And so you just have to kind of put one foot in front of the other, you know, and kind of start the process or, you know, you will get that, awakening moment. And if you don't listen to it or open the door, you know, when someone's knocking, the knock's going to get louder and it may turn into something else. Yes. Absolutely. And so now, because I want to talk a little bit about holistic nutrition, like what are some of the things you personally discovered as well as, you know, helping others um, with holistic nutrition? Like what were the, some of the benefits that came from that experience? Yeah. I mean that, I, I really feel like that, that 
has been the foundation of everything that I've done since then, since that experience. Because, you know, a lot of times, especially like, especially for women, I work primarily with women and Mm -hmm. I imagine maybe you do too. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, with, with women, it's like, we look at food as this way, this thing that we kind of control our bodies, you know, the, the, the sort of diet industry, like we're taught that, that nutrition is like simply what we put in our mouths. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more than, you know, choosing organic or like free range or whatever the thing is, you know, our, our nutrition and especially in the holistic sense is encompassing everything that we take in and everything that we take in media, relationships, our career, you know, we spend the majority of our time maybe, you know, in our, in our jobs. So, you know, our work, like how we're moving our body and clearing our energy, how we, you know, take care of ourselves. All of that is food for our mind, our body, and our spirit. And something that I really learned through my years of, of doing that work is that, you know, some people can have the most pristine, like food diet, you know, they're eating like really clean and all of those things, but they have a really dysfunctional relationship with food and themselves. And that was certainly me, I fell under that category. Whereas other people who maybe are a little more balanced, or maybe don't have the best diet, but have these other areas of their life that are really feeding them, you know, they have a job they love, but maybe they're not eating the best foods, you know, they they still were like very healthy, you know, so it's like, we get this, this one sort of image or picture of what it means to be well, what it means to be healthy. And for a lot of women, it's like, if I can just get the food aspect yes. under control, then everything in my life will be okay. Or like, if I can just get my, you know, the number on the scale Ew. to be, you know, what it was when I was 15 years old, I'm being sarcastic, of course, right. <laughs> you know, then everything will be fine. But actually, you know, our our internal programming has been so influenced by, you know, the, the media covers of magazines, which are all airbrushed, you know, these, yes. these beauty ideals that don't actually exist. So on the one hand, it's like, we're thinking that we have to be smaller and smaller or look, you know, our skin has to be a certain color or we have to, um, you know, look a certain way, essentially. It's all about appearances. And if we just get that under control, then the rest of our lives will fall into place. But really, that's like, it's just a way of kind of not being able to meet our own expectations and not really coming into a a place within ourselves where we're, we're allowing ourselves to be ourselves, like to be the unique expression of you know, source, creator, divine, you know, spirit that we, that each of us is, you know, and I found that in, in, in a lot of the women that I worked with in that time, that the body piece, you know, their relationship to their body and food was like the one thing that they felt like if they could just get that under control, everything else would be okay. And like I said, and, and actually the reason that, you know, their, their relationship with their bodies and their food, um, you know, is sort of dysfunctional. It, that was typically the surface 
level. You know, it was always about so much more than that. You know, the areas in which they were misaligned, the latent or, or, um, resisted, you know, trauma healing that they had underneath their relationship to food. You know, often it's like food that, that sort of, um, I worked a lot with emotional eating and emotional eating is often just this way that we want to comfort ourselves when we don't have other resources or we don't have other coping mechanisms with which to do that. And it's, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to emotionally eat. You know, there are a lot of other vices that we can engage with that are um, much more harmful to ourselves. And so, you know, with food, it's, it's really, it's, it's such a depth of um, experiencing and a depth of, of, of knowing that, you know, ourselves and and that connection with our, our bodies that um, really can, can create a greater healing um, you know, path with, with that. So I, I sort of what I, what I really realized was just, you know, the foundation of our experience to ourselves is so much deeper than the food that's on our plate. And that was really instilled from, you know, holistic nutrition and the studies that I did in that realm. Like, it's not just about the food. It's about you know, how we're relating to life, how we're relating to ourselves, how we treat ourselves. Um, you know, and as I mentioned and kind of cited those examples, like we can, we can abuse ourselves with a, a quote unquote healthy diet as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so going through that experience for yourself personally, as well as with other clients, I mean, because people don't realize that it also is, you know, a mindset or, you know, a psychological thing as well, you know, within your own experience, have you seen, you know, there are women who are, you know, doing the dieting, doing the exercising, they're eating healthy, um, you know, and, and nothing's working. And then when they start to change their mindset or the psychology behind it, then those things, you know, start to form and shape and, you know, manifest the way they want it to. Have you seen that happen? Um, to some extent, yes, like mindset, I believe is important. And the work that I do now is really around somatic healing, which is, you know, the idea that our body is the storehouse for kind of all of our experiences. And we have, you know, in our, in our Western culture, the mind has really been prized above all else. And we've discounted the wisdom of our bodies. And like Mm -hmm. I, I said a moment ago, as women, our bodies are our most powerful allies in creating the lives that we want. And, you know, that it's like our bodies are, you know, not only the vessel for the divine to move through us, they're also this powerhouse of intuitive wisdom, of nuance and sensual wisdom. And so, you know, what I what I work with now, everything that I do now is really in service of allowing women to understand their somatic intelli- intelligence and really understand the messages that their bodies are giving them, which is more subtle, right? The mind, the mind is one aspect of our experience. Mm-hmm. Like the mind also makes up stories, tells us lies, yes. is influenced by all of our past experiences, but our bodies don't lie. Like our bodies are constantly giving us information, whether that's in a symptom, in a skin condition, in uh, you know, an illness, an injury. And 
So it, it it's really about kind of bridging that gap because most people live their lives from the neck up. And yes. that creates a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of holding patterns of tension in the body that kind of restrict and block up the flow of not only like energy and manifestation, but also, you know, just that ability to have a beautiful relationship with life. And so the mindset is one aspect of it. You know, it's it's one thing to be an observer of our thoughts and to practice affirmations or to, you know, do the mindset work of of just being mindful in general. And it's a whole other thing to work on clearing your body of energy, you know, so that's like with breath work, that's something that we really do. Um, I also do a lot of intuitive movement and dance. And those are also ways that we can drop out of the mind, which Mm -hmm. is, is very (laughs) influenced by all the things I mentioned a moment ago and, and drop deeper into our body's wisdom and our intuitive wisdom, which, which really lives within our bodies. Yeah, I think that's super important, you know, getting out of, like you said, getting out of the mind into the body, um, because it it does, it tells us everything we need to know, but we're just, you know, so accustomed to not listening to it and listening to our minds, listening to our egos, Mm -hmm. when all the answers are, they've always been there, but we just have to learn how to tune into them and how to listen to them. Yeah. And so I know for me personally and other people in my circle, you know, just with the pandemic and COVID, I've seen a lot more people get into their bodies. And I think it's great whether they're being physical, getting in, you know, getting outside or doing something to kind of ground back into um, their bodies. What Mm -hmm. has been like your experience with that lately? Have you noticed any of that happening as well? Um, definitely to, to some extent, I I would say the, the thing that I've maybe noticed the most is people spending more time in nature, you know, like, because we haven't had access to, you know, doing all the things that we normally would do. And so I think one of the, the beauty beauties, and also probably one of the most challenging aspects of COVID in this last year has been number one, we don't have anywhere to go. You know, so we kind of have to face maybe some of the things that we have been running from or not wanting to look at. And then number two, there's just more of a a simplicity in how we're relating to our lives. Um, You know, just like I mentioned a moment ago, not having access to going out to restaurants and bars and movies and all the things that we maybe normally had as part of our experience. So what do we do without those things? We you know, hopefully we'll go outside and sit on the earth and, you know, move our bodies in nature. Um, you know, so it's, it's been beautiful to kind of witness, um, how people are responding in, in both the way, both challenging and beautiful ways. Like, I think that many of us over this last year have had to face parts of ourselves that we may have never met before, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's always a gift. <laughs> if, Absolutely. If, if we're willing to receive it as such. Yes, I think that's, I will say, one of the best things that has come out of the pandemic is really pushing people to, you know, deal with their mess. 
you can't brush it under the rug anymore, whether it be a family issue or a work issue, you know, or your health. Like these things are coming to the forefront because these are things that you, you know, need to deal with. So it has definitely been, you know, the gift and the curse. But like Mm -hmm. you said, it can be a gift if we accept it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And so if there was, this may be a hard question to answer. (laughs) If there was one resource that you would recommend you know, above all the others, there's so many for someone who, you know, wants to do the inner work and get back into their bodies, you know, and, and really tap into who they are truly. What's like the first resource that you would offer to them or, you know, show them to? (laughs) I know that's a hard question. (laughs) It's such a hard question. Um, you know, because gosh, there's so many tools, right? So I would say, you know, part of my studies in herbalism come from the wise woman tradition of healing, which is essentially like all ancestral lineages have this wise woman tradition of healing, which is, you know, these different um, like ancestral practices of, of relating to one's health and how to to kind of care for that. And one of the questions that is sort of at the root of the wise woman tradition of healing is what would be most nourishing now? What would be most nourishing for me now? And instead of me giving someone a bunch of tools or suggesting what I feel would be best for them, I'm always happy to provide you know, that, that advice if someone asks for it. But I would say above all, to really tune into what you feel called to explore because that will likely have the most medicine for you at this stage in the game. Like maybe that's yoga and you're really curious about taking a yoga class and you've never done that before, or maybe it's deepening your yoga class, or maybe it is exploring, you know, a new way of eating. Maybe that's, you know, like cleaning up, you know, your, your, diet and and removing sugar or something like that you know if you know that that's not serving you because i think we we have to like old paradigm is really like adhering to the guru's advice and i think it's really important to have guidance and and support and mentors absolutely like i wouldn't have a job if that weren't the case right but i do believe that you know we really can can support our clients and our communities to tune more deeply into that inner wisdom and where we're being called because there is no one way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And that kind of also relates back to my studies in holistic nutrition. There, There's no one way of eating that works for everyone. There's no one way of praying that works for everyone. There's no one way of, you know, making art. Like we, we really want to embrace our uniqueness. And that can be really scary. Um, you know, but I, I'm always guiding my people to connect with that part of themselves because that's where the real wisdom can come from. And especially for women, the dial on that volume, you know, that, that connection to our intuition is Mm -hmm. often turned really low, like the outside voices, you know, all of the noise, the chaos that surrounds us that can kind of take over because it's so loud and having the ability to, 
turn the volume up on our our inner voice is one of the most powerful healing tools that we can you know that we can access so maybe maybe that's my tool is to find ways of getting in touch with your unique wisdom your unique medicine your unique voice and intuition and that can look like a lot of different things you know maybe that's spending 5 minutes in silence every day and just hearing what needs to be heard from within yourself and if that feels too scary like maybe it is you know following the pull of where your interest is drawn because you know creativity can be spiritual painting can be a spiritual yes. experience i mean for me dance was always the way connected to god you know and i don't know if people i i embrace the word god um yes. i know in some traditions it's like you know what whatever but you know right, whatever I, you refer to it is yeah but it, that was always I'm, I'm not afraid there was a point in my my life when I was afraid to like kind of claim God to claim and, that and say it yeah yes I was I was raised Catholic so you know I was like I went through a rebellious phase of like totally pushing away any association yes, with I did organized too. religion yeah so I mean it's it's really like what connects you to yourself and that can be nature. That can be meditation. It can be yoga, dance. There's so many things. Maybe that's even reading, you know, like yeah. reading a self-development book that that invokes deeper thinking. But I would say really get curious about what is nourishing to you, what connects you to yourself, because that's where this sort of journey within can really deepen. Yes, absolutely. And I I do want to ask you about plant medicine, just because, you know, people hear the words plant medicine and I know they automatically go to like the physical aspects of it. Like, what is plant medicine? How can it help you? Because I know this is something, you know, that you've studied and that you use in, in your own life as well as your clients. But like, what are some of the benefits of plant medicine like that most people don't know? Yeah. So plant medicine really encompasses a lot. And thank you for asking. Um, you know, plant medicine really encompasses a lot of different things. I mean, some people consider, and it is, consider essential oils plant medicine. Um, some like like food, you know, is, is essentially plant medicine in some ways. There's also herbs, you know, herbalism, like that that is plant medicine. And then there's also entheogenic or psychedelic plants like ayahuasca, you know, that, mm -hmm. that is also plant medicine. And I really embrace all of those forms of plant medicine. So I have been leading ayahuasca retreats since, um, 2018. Well, that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, before, um, before the pandemic, of course, um, you know, stewarding people to work with entheogenic plants in order to heal. And and that is a really edgy, I think it's becoming more mainstream, you know, the work mm -hmm. with, with plant medicine. Um, but it's it's it can be a little bit edgy. Some people it's it's very polarizing, essentially. Like some people are like really curious about it or all for it, and other people are like, you know, have a have judgments against it or or feel like, oh, that's not for me. And I would say, you know, plant medicine, whether it is um, you know, in terms of working with herbs for greater healing or working with those more audible, you know, psychedelic plants, they're all just tools. They're all tools in which to 
you know, support our bodies, to nourish our bodies. And also, you know, the, and that's, I'm speaking specifically um, in terms of herbs, like healing herbs and things as far as nourishment. And then in terms of like the the broader spectrum, you know, going to those ceremonial um, uses of psychedelic plants, that that is a, is is very powerful as a tool. And in my experience has really been, a huge catalyst for my growth and my healing on levels that I I don't think I would have ever I didn't even understand the first time I engaged with plant medicine and that in a ceremonial context like I didn't realize how deeply that would um you know be healing for me and I I have really felt a calling and a devotion to support people who want to access those plants to to do so in a way that is supported and safe and you know take them to um work with facilitators who really are in integrity with the plants with the the culture um you know that that ayahuasca specifically comes from and yeah it's it, it, i can i'm happy to answer you know some deeper questions if you have them but well, I I want to kind of get into like the retreat because I mean, not only have I been curious about it as well, but I'm sure some of our listeners are, you know, because there's so many things going on about plant medicine and retreats and yeah. psychedelics. And so, you know, on TV, you see like all this new age crazy stuff and it's, you know, people running around doing crazy things. And, you know, <laughs> I've never personally been there or experienced you know, what really plant medicine can do or what psycho psychedelic plants can do for you um, when it comes to healing process. So walk me through a little bit of that. Like what is the main purpose for using, you know, some of the psychedelic plants? Like what are some of the benefits that come out of that? Yeah. So first of all, <laughs> I know it's like, you're so <laughs> right about all the TV shows. I've seen several of the the most recent things that have come out and I'm like, oh my God, it's like terrifying to even watch yes. it. And just like anything that seems edgy or fringe, you know, the media like loves to, <laughs> you know, make a big circus of it. And in some ways mm -hmm. it, it can be a circus, but, you know, it, our, when in all traditions, in, in all cultures, if you go back far enough and maybe not so far at all, there have always been practices of using psychedelic plants to connect with the divine and yeah. heal. Like it doesn't matter what, where you come from or, you know, what your lineage is, <clears throat> excuse me, there has always been the use of those plants for connection to the divine. And it wasn't really until the church, you know, kind of came in, the patriarchy came in where that those practices were seen as sacrilegious. And I'm not going right. to get into a history lesson, but what, what essentially, you know, these medicines can do is open you up to higher states of consciousness where you you have the opportunity to view yourself, your life, your habits, your patterns, your traumas with a different lens. And and that can be it can be very scary and very yes. challenging and it can also be very liberating because a lot of what we 
repress or push under the surface or aren't face or don't face in our lives is still there. And it's likely creating a lot of havoc and uh, pain, you know, when we don't address those, those aspects of ourselves that we don't like, or that we are scared of, or that really hurt us, you know, they're, they're typically just like under the surface, you know, creating problems in other areas of our lives. And the, you know, nature has an intelligence, plants have an intelligence and, you know, we're, we're silly, we silly humans, you know, think that like we know everything, but there is this whole other um, aspect of the universe that has this, this connection, the, the divine intelligence that flows through all things, that universal life force energy that you feel when you're in nature, you feel it, you know, I mean, most people do. And, and even if they're not conscious of it, it's like, they maybe feel more relaxed after being, you know, in nature or in, you know, like sitting under a tree that the body, your nervous system sort of calms down. And that's the way nature is like communicating with your body. It's how your body and nature are communicating with one another. There's this settling, this remembering. And so when you actually engage with plants as, as like you're ingesting them, you're taking them in and particularly with the psychedelic plants, you are able to engage with that intelligence in a different way. And at, you can engage with that intelligence as a teacher. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I'm super curious. I know I want to try. Um, I've never been to a retreat and I definitely want to go to one because I'm all about doing the work and, you know, self-healing and bringing things to the surface. So that would be something that I personally know I would be interested in. And yeah, it can be scary, um, but I've seen so many benefits come out of it from so many people, Um, you know, and then not to talk about the church too much, but I just find it so fascinating that I feel like we have all the tools we need here on this earth, especially in plants. Um, and because we have those tools, and as you said, it is a way to um, reach different levels of consciousness and to connect with the divine. I personally believe that, you know, that is partly why the church has kind of gotten away from those things, because it can be somewhat of a sense of control. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kind of getting back to our roots and to why we have these plant medicines and why we used to do the things we do. Um, you know, I feel like we're so disconnected and this is a way for us to reconnect. Yes. I love that you said that. That's so true. And I, I really feel this is my belief, you know, in my opinion, so take it or leave it. But I really believe that that is something that we're just longing for that reconnection to like, without sounding like a total hippie, right. a true mother, which is, is the, the earth, you know, our, the earth provides us with everything that we need. And we've disconnected from that in so many ways, like you said, and it's really where our greatest healing comes from, like reconnecting with, you know, our mother, reconnecting with the, the, the land, nature, like, you know, just recognizing that we are part of this whole tapestry of something greater. You know, it's not just about us and the American dream and the 2.5 children and the picket fence and however many cars. Like, you know, I think that that we needed to go through that as 
a, a species and as a culture in order to kind of get to where we are now, which is, in in my opinion, again, sort of stepping into more of a, a paradigm where, you know, there's there is redistribution of some of the resources, or at least that's the vision that I'm I'm holding yes, that I'm working and living into to the best of my ability. Like, you know, the the true a true healthy mother, you know, wants to make sure that all of her children are fed and get what yes. they need. And I believe that that's something that, you know, our our relationship to nature can really support and also you know, like just realigning our values, like we're seeing, especially through COVID, you know, how, how dysfunctional a lot of those power systems are. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that have come to light have shown us what's not working. And, you know, there's just on a, on a very simple, basic level, when people kind of reclaim their relationship to place or to the land and to nature and realize like, you know, how do we tend to, how do we care for this land, you know, this, the earth. And also like, we are part of that. Our bodies are our own little plot of nature, you know? So it's, it's really about so much more than what we've been sold and what we've bought into, you know, in terms of what the ideal life is like in some ways. Yeah, it's great. I'm so grateful that I have, you know, a house and a roof over my head. And, you know, I think with COVID, we've also realized just how lonely this separation and isolation that we've created is. I'm curious to know how you feel about that. Yes, yes. This is funny you should bring this up because I was talking about this with one of my friends and we were, you know, saying like a lot of children who are doing, you know, the at-home schooling, virtual classes, and it's just started to make like not only children, but parents, like it's a little bit, you know, of that human disconnects. Like as humans, we're meant to be social beings. We're meant to be around each other. We're meant to have that, you know, face-to-face interaction. And you just can't get that energy from another person fully Mm -hmm. from just a screen. So, you know, we're interested to see like how a lot of kids who have grown up in this virtual environment, like how are they going to readjust when things open back up? You know, are they, you know, are they going to be open to or closed off from social interactions? So, I mean, I just think it's so amazing that we are able to connect with people virtually, you know, and meet people across the world. But ultimately, you know, I feel like there's there's that disconnect. Like this has really put a lot on people to realize like, okay, I'm not around the people who I enjoy being around. Or just the simple fact of going to work and, you know, socializing and being around people and being in their energy field. Like there's a lot that we are missing just from not having that that human interaction. Yes, I really, really agree with that. And I don't know about you, but I, I have certainly felt, you know, over the last year, particularly the, this, the last like several months, like just a sense of, I, I can only call it exhaustion of like loneliness, like, mm-hmm. you know, like missing my people, missing my community. And 
I, of course, have a couple of friends that I've, you know, had in my, my little bubble. And that's been really healing and medicinal. And like, I've seen my friends with children really, really struggling. Like the, the kids really show us on, on a very fundamental level, like also where we are as well. They're, you know, less conditioned as we are. Like they'll just cry and be like, I want to see my friends or watching them, you know, have, having to learn and engage with their teachers and their classmates on on Zoom or you know it's it's been really challenging for everyone you're so right we're really meant to be with one another we're so much better together yes absolutely and we we need that connection to thrive i mean it's just like how they say you know dogs thrive when they're in the pack humans are the same way like we thrive on human interaction human connection like we have to have that so you know at some point we can't be behind the screen anymore like we've got to step outside and and reconnect to nature to other human beings um because you know that's that's part of growth and and consciousness so i'm i'm totally for that Yes. So I'm interested to see how things are going to be, you know, once they do open back up. Um, I know a lot of people who are working from home, you know, me included, I enjoy it. Like, I love that I can plan my own schedule, um, you know, that I can be in my own space. But then when I'm done with that part, I'm ready to step outside and, you know, engage with the world and be around people and, and have those human interactions um, so I am looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. And traveling again. <laughs> yes, I did a little bit of traveling, but it's, you know, it's not the same having to wear masks and being quarantined wherever you go and things yeah. like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think this is definitely been a blessing because, like you said, it has brought up a lot of things that we need to heal, you know, things that we need to deal with, but also so that we can come back out of this better than we have been. Yes, and become, you know, our best selves. So I am all for that. Me too. <laughs> and I do, there was one thing I wanted to say. So about plant medicine, cool thing that I saw, I saw a video um, speaking about plant medicine and plant intelligence, because I think a lot of people like me in the past have questioned these things. I'm a scientific person. So, you know, some things that aren't logical, it's like mm-hmm. I need that confirmation, that validation. Um, so in one of my, my metaphysical classes, there was a video that I watched and there's a, a scientist who did a study years ago, you know, about, and you've probably seen things like this too, about, you know, speaking to plants. And he did this experiment where he put one plant and they, you know, said bad things to it, talked mm-hmm. down to it. Basically, you know, anything that was hate, they put into this plant. And then they had another plant where they spoke love and positivity into it. Um, And he monitored these plants and showed how one started to wither away and the other one continued to grow and blossom. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, you mean to tell me that plants have emotions? Are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Like we're that connected. Like plants have an energy. They have an intelligence. Um, So, you know, I was just a flaw by that. Like, oh my God, I can't believe like, that you can speak to a plant. My grandmother used to always say, you know, talk to your plants, give them love. And I just thought that was BS until (laughs) I saw that experiment. And so just something as simple as that really opened my eyes to, we're meant to be eating plants. We're meant to have plant medicine. There is an intelligence. We are connected to it. Um, You know, everything we have here is on this earth and it's meant to be here as a reason. Um, So that was like, that blew my mind. I couldn't believe that. Yes. Oh my gosh. And you know, it's really like, 
I mean, it, it kind of shares the what we know on on some level, which is that love, that vibration of love and kindness and compassion is really the energy under which people, things blossom. And yes. And nature is, we are a part of nature. Nature is a part of us. And I'm not sure you'll have to Google if you don't know this already, but Dr. Emoto's research with water. Um, yes. You know, he did something similar, putting water under a microscope and speaking, you know, words of love and kindness and affirmation and and then, you know, doing the same with words of cruelty and I hate you and things yes. like that. And the difference between what they found under the microscope was astounding. The the kind, positive, loving words were, you know, these crystalline, beautiful, almost like snowflake type Patterns, images. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then the other, the other sort of hate-filled messages were just this uh frenetic, sort of disconnected, jagged yes. uh, cellular structure under the microscope. And they also, um, I was actually just talking about this with the client and I, I looked at the, um, some of the research that was online and they, they also took polluted water from different lakes or streams or wherever it was and prayed, like did these Buddhist prayers over the water and looked at it before and after under the, yes. the microscope. And like, you know, indigenous cultures, our ancestors knew that nature was like our relative, you know, and to really take care of that relationship and to speak to the elements, you know, as though they were family, because in yeah. some ways they are, you know, they are part of, I mean, we are water, we're 80% water, you know, our bodies are. And so just on that that fundamental level of speaking kindly to ourselves, like if we're 80% water and Dr. Emoto did that research with water. Exactly. Like what do you think happens inside of our bodies when we're talking like crap to ourselves? Yes. You know, there's just a lot to think about. And, you know, obviously I'm not I'm not saying that we're never supposed to have challenging or heavier, denser emotions, but we can choose how we relate to ourselves and our surroundings. And, you know, even in that example of the the polluted water before and after prayer, you know, how we show up in the world and in our relationships and in our actions, we really have the opportunity to be that medicine that can neutralize and change you know, the hate, the, the BS, the toxicity, the dysfunction. And, you know, we're not perfect. That's not like, like no one's perfect, right? You know, we, we right. will react sometimes, but how do we care for ourselves and nourish ourselves in ways that we can show up in that medicinal way? Yes, absolutely. I just love those experiments because it just makes it so real for a lot of people that, you know, the healing work and even the woo-woo stuff that we talk about, you know, some people may not believe that this stuff works, but that's the proof is in the pudding there. I mean, that was a scientific experiment that shows that when you put love um, energy into yourself or into nature, you know, how it flourishes, how it blossoms and all the positive things that can come from it. So these, you know, healing techniques are real and they do work. They do. Yeah. Science supports it too. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. 
And then I know that you have a quote or, you know, a mantra that you live by. So can you share that with us? Oh, my gosh. Well, many, many of them. But I I definitely believe what most applies after this conversation is that your body is holy. You know, your body is is connected deeply to nature and to the divine. Like you are the earth and cosmos in human form. And so sometimes just even relating to ourselves and, and if that feels hard, you know, inquiring uh, with, within ourselves, like, what would it, what would it be like if I really, if my body is holy, like, how would I show up? How would I treat myself? How would I choose foods or relationships? Like if, if my body is holy, if I am holy, you know, how does that change the way I show up in the world and show up with myself. So that's something that I would leave you with. Yes. I'm going to say one of your other pieces. When you said slow is sexy, I was like, yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. That's like, that is my medicine like that I take every day. You know, I think part of this path of healing that many of us are on right now and and thank you to COVID for really deepening us this. down, right? Yes. Like we can't access wisdom, you know, our deep, deep, deep intuitive wisdom if we're running around all the time. Yes. We've got to sit down and shut up. We do. <laughs> Absolutely. So I love that. Well, Stephanie, this has been such a pleasure talking to you, talking about plant medicine and healing and holistic nutrition and just learning how to step into your power, um, you know, finding your voice and doing the inner work to do that healing that we all so badly need. Um, Tell our listeners, please, how can we connect with you? What social media platforms you on? All that good stuff. Yes. Thank you for asking me to share Regis. Um, you can find me at stephanieburgcoaching.com. Berg is B-U-R-G. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, come and say hi there. I love like receiving messages and, and connecting with folks that way. And thanks so much for having me, Regis. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Awesome. So glad you could join us on the show. I will put all of those links in the show notes so everyone can connect with Stephanie. And I will see you all on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Spiritual Shit You Need to Know, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes, subscribe and leave me a five star review. Don't forget to sign up for your free Millennial Life Crisis Guide at bit.ly forward slash free crisis guide. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram for more spiritual inspo at spiritual shit podcast.